Well, thank you so much for coming to our uh, third service. This is uh, our first weekend with our new service times. And uh, it says a lot about your sleep patterns uh, that you're here in this service. And that's fine. We, uh, we've had good disbursement throughout the, the services and appreciate you very much coming to this one. Hey, do you mind if I start with, we took, we, we took the cutest picture of our daughter and uh, I hope you don't mind if I start with a photo of her. I'm a proud daddy. Maybe we'll just start with that. So. Isn't it a cute picture? She's so cute in that picture. Oh, no, I do that. So anyway, we're excited and maybe applause for my wife in the second row. She should stand. Don't you think she should stand? You'll be happy to know it's only in this service that we did that. So aren't you glad you came to third service? And uh, yes, we are expecting... And uh, due, is, due date's somewhere around late June, okay? So, um, and you can pray for us. That woman in the second row has been very, very sick. We actually installed, a, there's a very small porta potty in the seat next to her <laughs> that uh, is, it, it needs to be there, uh, given what's been going on in our house for the last while here. But uh, we are excited, and some of you may accuse me of... of like strategically planning pregnancy so that the announcement might possibly be roughly around the time where we're celebrating another baby being born. That is purely coincidence. I want to be clear, but what a wonderful segue it is. Don't you think? Here we are in Advent month and we're celebrating a baby who came and an announcement that was made, and that's what we're going to be studying this month from the Gospel of Luke. There's, there's two of the Gospels, two of the four Gospels that give us the narrative of what surrounded the birth of Jesus. Uh, Matthew and Luke, we're looking at Luke for this entire month. And what we really want to focus on is the, resp- the human response to both the announcement that Jesus was going to be born and the announcement that he had been born. So we're going to look at Zechariah and Elizabeth. We're going to look at the shepherds. Um, We're going to look at Simeon uh, and Anna in the temple. And today we're looking at what is probably of all of them, the most uh, poetic, the most eloquent response was actually from Jesus' mother, Mary uh, herself, and how she responded to this amazing news. We're calling them songs. We don't know that they sang them, uh, but they're, the, all of them are effulgent with praise. All of them are, are filled with joy. And uh, one writer writes this about these songs in, in Luke, that they are the last of the Hebrew Psalms and the first of the Christian hymns. And we find these songs, they're, they're, they're being said or sung in the transitional time between Messiah as expect, expectation and prophetic hope and Messiah as incarnate and incarnational. Boy, I didn't say that very good, did I? I've got two little boys here in the first row. You could both say that better than I said that one right there, couldn't you? Incarnational reality. I hope your parents are nearby. I see nobody around. Right here? Okay. All right. 
she is keeping an eye on you, and I want you to know that so am I. <laughs> right here, the front row. So we begin with Mary, the song of Mary, the song of the mother. This song is arguably the most famous of the songs. And what I want to do today is I want to begin with the angelic announcement to Mary. And we're going to read through most of the text, make some comments, but we're hustling on our way to to Mary's song, which begins in verse 46. But we begin today in verse 26. Here's what the text says. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the city, or I'm sorry, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Now to understand the text, to understand the song, we begin to have uh, have to understand the context. And right away, we're told something about a girl who lives in a town called Nazareth. Now, today, Nazareth is famous to us. It was not in the first century. And part of it is just its geography. If we, if we put a map up here to show you where Nazareth is located, this is uh, in first century uh, Israel. You'll see that Jerusalem, the capital city, way down to the south. That's where the political power was. That's where the temple was. That's kind of where it was at, was down in Jerusalem. Where is Mary living? She's way up in Nazareth. Nazareth was part of the larger area known as Galilee. That whole area, that was Hicksville, okay? Those were the, uh, the Hicks from French Lick that lived up in Nazareth. You might remember that when Nathaniel found out that, uh, that, uh, Jesus was from Nazareth, he said, can anything good come from Nazareth? And you see just that reputation that it had. It was, it was famous for being not famous. It was famous for uh, the people that were there not being famous. It was a wide spot in the road. It was a very, a town, it's gone now, town of insignificance. <laughs> and is part of this whole story. The text says that, it, uh, that the angel came to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Now, all of a sudden, the messianic bulbs have to start kind of going off in your mind because, wait a second, and it's not because she's a virgin, at least not this point in the story, it's because of Joseph who was of the line of David. And if you know the Old Testament, and of course the first century Jews knew the Old Testament, they knew that the Messiah that was going to come was going to be of the house of David. So you have Joseph of the house of David betrothed to a woman, and you have an angel coming and making an announcement. And so now the Messianic juices begin to flow. Now I begin to think, wait a second, there might be something very, very interesting going on here. And indeed, there is. The virgin, it says here, is also named for us. Her name is Mary. Now, Mary might be the most common name of any woman in all of the Bible. There are tons of women named Mary. It was just plain old Mary. I mean, there is nothing, nobody struggled to spell it. Nobody ever said, now, how do you spell Mary exactly? Because everybody knew how to spell Mary. It was a very, very common name. 
Now, one other thing to know about Mary beyond her virginity is her age. Uh, scholars argue about how old she was. There are legit scholars that argue that she was 12 years old. There are other scholars that argue up to like 14 years old. Let's cut it down the middle and say 13. That sounds weird to us, doesn't it? And as the father of a, at least one daughter currently, there ain't no way. That's all I'm saying, right? She's already engaged. What? 13 years old. We look at that from our context and we say, that just doesn't seem right. But that was the culture of the day. Okay. What can you say about another people group's culture? But that was the culture of their day. There was nothing out of the ordinary that she was that age and she was betrothed to be married. That's just what girls, uh, Jewish girls in the first century in Israel, that's what they did. Verse 28, and he, Gabriel, came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? It's hard to think of a more shocking announcement that human ears could hear, especially 13-year-old girl ears to hear, than what Gabriel the angel has said to Mary here in this text. Part of what makes this so shocking is to note a few things. Again, who she is, a very young woman, where she lives, a town uh, called Never Heard of It. Uh, uh, we know from later in the story that she is very, very poor. Were it not for this event, Mary would have lived a normal life, died a normal death, and none of us would ever heard of her. Her response here tells us at least part of why God chose her. Look at verse 38. And Mary said, here's how she responds to all this amazing thing that the angel has said. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. If this is what God wants, then this is what I want. Now, if you put yourself in her place, you've seen the very first angel in your entire life. And what the angel has to say to you is essentially that the long-awaited Messiah, the one that prophecies and scripture have spoken of for centuries, that that one person is coming to this world. And by the way, you're going to be the mother of him. Talk about shocking. How would you respond to something like that? The men here go, yeah, that'd be really crazy for us. But ladies, how would you respond to something like that? Can you imagine what you would do? Well, look at what Mary does. I mean, if she had a whole lifetime to get ready for this moment, her response couldn't be any better than it was. If this is what the Lord wants, then this is what I want. And we see now a glimpse into her heart. We see the kind of character of the woman, don't we here? The young woman, the very young woman, in the response to what God has said. We can think about 
even others in the biblical story who aren't asked to do something of this kind of significance. And they don't respond as good as Mary does. Think of Moses. Moses, God says, I want you to lead my people out of, out of Egypt. And what's Moses' response? I can't talk very good. I don't know that I'm the guy for the job. How about Gideon? God goes to Gideon and says, Gideon, I want you to lead my people against the Midianites. Gideon goes, okay, you're going to need to make the ground wet and the cloth dry in the morning. And then the next day you're going to have to make the ground wet and the cloth dry. And then throw in a dream and something else. And then maybe I'll think about it. And he's a hero in the story. He's one of the judges, Gideon. Or think about Saul. I wouldn't call Saul a hero, but he's certainly a big name. Where's Saul on the day of his coronation as the king of of Israel? Hiding in the luggage. (laughs) So here you have these guys. These are men. They're grown men. They're mature. They're big names in the story. And when their moment came, they are found to be very human, very wishy-washy. But Mary, here's the most amazing news And her response is spot on, isn't it? If this is what God wants, then this is what I want. May it be to me as the Lord wills. We're that our our responses to God's purposes in our life were half as good as Mary's. You might think about something in your life right now, a purpose, a direction that clearly God is leading or taking you in, something he's brought into your life. And you can think about all the ways that you, you know, maybe are more like Moses than you are like Mary. Would that we would have the response of Mary to these things and these moments in our life. God, if this is what you want, this is what I want. That was Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but your will be done. Enough of that. That's a side note. So here the, the story goes on now, okay? The story goes on, and now we get into a portion of the story that you don't hear as much about. Okay, so this might be somewhat new to you, but it's just the next verse, verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now I got to tell you that now presently experiencing my second pregnancy, I read this passage different than I did back in the old single days. And what do I mean by that? Here's Mary, okay? She's pregnant at this point. She's early. She's like first trimester pregnant. And the text says that she got up, walked, or maybe rode some animal like a donkey 80 miles into Judah, into the hill country, to go and to see her cousin Elizabeth. Now, I got to tell you, if I went to Jennifer now, also in her first trimester and said, sweetheart, let's walk or ride an animal 80 miles to go see a cousin. She would probably say something like, you can walk 80 miles in any direction you want. I don't give a rip. 
but I'm staying right here next to my pet toilet. Uh, (laughs) Pregnant women are not generally wanting to do something like this. Why would Mary get up, go that entire distance to talk to Elizabeth? Well, think about it for a moment. I mean, first of all, one thing I also have, have, have observed that, uh, that pregnant women love to share that news, especially with their family. And they want somebody to talk about it. And how's it going? How are you? And what's going on? Here you have Mary. She's betrothed to be married, but she's not married. She's pregnant and not married. And the child that she has, an angel came to her and told her that this child was going to be born. Who do you talk to about that? There's only one person on the planet that can relate at least a little bit, and it happens to be her cousin Elizabeth, who also is pregnant. And we know from earlier in chapter 1 that an angel appeared to Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah, and said, you guys are old, but you're going to have a baby. So Elizabeth is pregnant with a kind of miracle baby, not a virgin birth, but a kind of miracle baby, Also coming on the heels of an angelic announcement, Mary is like, I got to talk to somebody. And Gabriel mentioned my cousin Elizabeth. I'm going to see her. And you think about it from that perspective, this journey makes some sense. So she hurries off and she goes those 80 miles. She gets to Elizabeth's house. She comes rushing up to the door. She's like, Elizabeth, Elizabeth. Now the text says that When Elizabeth heard Mary's cry, Mary's voice, that the baby inside of Elizabeth leaped for joy. Now, what is that all about? Well, who is that baby that's inside of Mary? It's none other than John the Baptist. John the Baptist, who himself is prophesied regarding in Isaiah 40 and Malachi 3, who would be the one that would come and would prepare the way for the Lord. He would be the one whose ministry would prepare the hearts of, uh, of Israel to hear the messianic message. This is, a, this is a man that Jesus said about him. There's never been a man greater than him born of a woman. This is a special individual himself. And so he's in Elizabeth's womb. Jesus is in Mary's womb. And suddenly, even in the womb, they are in proximity to each other. And the text says that John the Baptist in the womb leaped for joy. I would say dance, but everybody knows Baptists don't dance. (laughs) He didn't dance. He simply leaped for joy in the womb. quite a moment to think of those two great, great men, even as babies in the same room together. And just the electricity that's happening between them. And this moment elicits a very famous song known as Mary's Magnificat. In fact, my Bible, yours might, I don't know, my Bible says Magnificat right over this section here. And I'd like to read this now to you 
And just listen, listen to the content, listen to the flow. Here is Mary. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Now, I wonder if you heard that, or maybe you're looking at that in your Bible, and you're thinking a thought that I think as well. How could a 13-year-old girl compose a response like this that is so doctrinally, theologically, biblically rich? A 13-year-old girl. One writer points out that in this one song that uh, it alludes or quotes from verses in Genesis, Deuteronomy, 1st and 2nd Samuel, Job, Psalms, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Micah, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah. 13-year-old girl. So we look at that and we say, you know, that's somebody really smart wrote that and they just sort of inserted it and said mary did this is that the explanation that somebody else brought that in i don't think so and i want to tell you why part of it is of course that the bible says that this was mary's song but beyond that how could this young girl how could she do this and there's really two factors that i think make this entirely possible and the first is that mary knew knew hannah's song by heart Mary knew Hannah's song by heart. Have you noticed that with teenagers, and maybe you remember, you know, decades ago when you were a teenager, uh, how teenagers, they, they can quote the lyrics to songs, can't they? I mean, if you had a thousand teenagers to this day, you had a thousand teenagers, and if you started singing the right song, the one that everybody's listening to, the one that's real popular, you know, whatever that is, it's always changing. But if you start to, to sing that song, you could have a thousand teenagers all in unison singing along with you. You say, well, it's because it's on the screen. They don't need screens. Teenagers, man, they know the lyrics to the songs kind of from their era. And you know, it was the same for Jewish uh, teenage girls in the first century. They knew the lyrics to the songs that they sang. Here's the difference, though. The songs that they sang were Bible songs. They were lyrics from Old Testament texts. Now, I'll pause a moment and ask you a question, which might, in the end, be more helpful for our young people to know by heart the, the pop contemporary uh, songs of our day or uh, the songs that are in the Word of God. I don't know. It's hard to choose, isn't it? Which might, in the end, be more profitable for them, And I'm also in this restraining myself, such great restraint I am exercising right now, not to go on a side rant rabbit trail 
which I never do, and talk about how important it is to plant God's Word in the hearts of the young people. And one reason I'll do that is that perhaps the non-young people won't think it's also important to plant God's words in their heart as well. How did Mary do this? She knew Hannah's song by heart. Now you might say, well, Hannah, what are you talking, Hannah Montana, what are you talking about here? Is that what you're, no. This is a more important Hannah. This is the Hannah from 1 Samuel. And the story of Hannah from 1 Samuel is also a woman who has a special pregnancy and who has a special child. And Hannah wanted children very, very much. And, and she went to the temple and she prayed and, and she prayed so fervently. There was no words coming out of her mouth, but her lips were moving. And Eli, the, the, the priest says, woman, are you drunk? And she says, oh no, I'm just praying to the Lord for a child. Well, if you know the story, she had a child. His name was Samuel and she brings Samuel to the temple and she, uh, uh, she, not the temple, but she brings Samuel Uh, to the Lord, and she dedicates and essentially gives Samuel over to Eli's care for the service uh, of the Lord. And when she does that, she sings a song. You can read it. I don't have time. You can read about it in 1 Samuel 2. Hannah sings a song. Well, that song was a song that all the young people growing up, when they went to feasts and festivals and they had their religious times, they would sing psalms, they would sing texts, and they sang Hannah's song. She knew it by heart. She had it down. And so now after the angel has made the announcement, she begins to go to her cousin's house. She has all this time to mull over. What does this mean? She has all this time to think about, you know, how do I, what grid do I put this through? And her mind goes to a special birth and she thinks about and meditates on Hannah's response to what happened to her. Well, then Elizabeth has her moment that we just read about. She makes her explanation. And Mary now improvises on Hannah's song. If you read Hannah's song and Mary's song, they are very, very similar. And the truth of that song comes through the grid of her heart, now as the mother of the Messiah. And out comes this very doctrinally rich and beautiful song. That's the first reason she knew Hannah's song by heart. Secondly, is that Mary's song is scripture. Mary's song is scripture. The Bible itself says that when God inspires, this is the doctrine of inspiration, when God inspired scripture, when he wrote his book, those people that were doing the writing were writing from their heart and their mind, but behind that was actually the mind and the purposes of God, so that what they wrote was actually the word of God. Example of this, Second Peter one twenty one. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So all of Scripture, the entire Bible that we have, is a kind of God-man partnership, but Behind the writings is not the, man, the mind of man, it is the mind of God. And is it really that hard to believe that in her belly, in her womb, is the God-man and that her song reflects 
a kind of divine human partnership, which produces this wonderfully rich and beautiful portion of Scripture, which reads like a psalm. It begins with this famous line, my soul magnifies the Lord. This is why it's called as Mary's Magnificat. In the Latin, the Vulgate, it was my soul and the word was Magnificat. And so down through the centuries, it's been known as Mary's Magnificat. My soul glorifies the Lord. Some of your translations may say that. It is natural for a mother to rejoice in her child, isn't it? In fact, I can attribute to the fact, or I can testify to the fact that it's very natural for a dad to do the same. I have to restrain myself from talking about our daughter too much. I don't want to be obnoxious about it. Love her so much, you know. So when I think about a sermon illustration, how could I illustrate this? Oh, yes, Kira Lee. You know, no, I, I already used her last week. I can't talk about it. So... I delight in her, right? It's natural for a father and a mother to delight in their child, to kind of sing a song. But I want you to notice here that Mary is not on any kind of an ego trip as she, as she sings this song. Quite the opposite. Mary is in wonder that God would choose somebody like her for such a high and holy task. My spirit rejoices in me. No. My spirit rejoices in my child. No. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary has no allusions to her own greatness. She even acknowledges that she herself needs a Savior. Verse 48 and 49, both of these begin with the word for. Here's a causal statement. Mary's saying, my soul magnifies the Lord and let me tell you why. First of all, in verse 48, he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Verses 26 and following, they tell us what, you know, it's it's Scripture telling us about Mary. But here we see Mary telling us about Mary. We get a glimpse into what her heart was like. Notice what she says, humble estate and servant. Might these not be why God chose Mary to be the mother of Jesus? We could ask the question, I think, you know, why Mary? It doesn't make sense to me that God would choose Mary. Why not, for example, one of Herod's daughters? Herod was the great king. Herod was in Jerusalem. If Jesus had been born to one of his daughters, Jesus would have been born in a castle. Jesus would have been born on fine gold linen. Jesus would have been born with trumpets blowing and flags waving in the breeze. There would be a sense of royalty, you know, the sort of that, like England, you know, that big deal when one of the princes has a, it would be that kind of a feel, which he deserves and more. Amen? But did pick Herod's daughters. How about one of Caiaphas's daughters? That would also make sense. Caiaphas was the high priest. Caiaphas was a a religious leader. So Jesus, if he had been born to one of his daughters, then it would have had a very sort of religious feel. Jesus comes as the great high priest. This makes sense to me, right? He could have been born and then brought to the temple and there'd be sort of religious flags uh, blowing in the air and trumpets would be blaring in the temple. It would have a very sort of religious sort of feel, which would be... I think, good. <laughs> Seems appropriate to me like that. But God didn't choose Caiaphas' daughters either. Why? 
Could either one of them had described their life situation as humble estate? Would either of them have described themselves as a servant? They both would have known about servanthood, but it would have been because there were servants that served them. I don't see Herod's daughter calling herself a servant. It's very hard to see that. I wonder what their song would have sounded like. Would it sounded like this? In fact, I got thinking about, like, what would women like that most likely, how would they have made announcement about their pregnancy? I got thinking about maybe what would they have posted on their Facebook page? Hey, girlfriends. Guess who God picked to bear the Messiah? Me. I'll be posting throughout the pregnancy so you girlfriends keep checking in on me. Going to show my messianic baby bump. (laughs) But isn't it like God to choose the opposite and to do the opposite of what we expect him to do? For God to choose the least likely girl on the planet to be the mother of his son. Isn't it like God to choose the lowly, the unassuming, the meek, the marginal in society to do his greatest works through them? Not only was Mary's hometown lowly, not only was her bank account lowly, Mary's heart was lowly. God's son was born in a manger. He wasn't born in a castle and he wasn't born in the temple. He was born in a manger. He was wrapped in swaddling clothes. He was not wrapped in religious garments. He was not wrapped in in fine linen or gold linen. He was wrapped in swaddling clothes. He was born among farm animals. He was not born among royalty. He was not born among dignitaries. He was not born amongst the important people of the day. He was born amongst farm animals. I think that says something. And the womb within which he gestated was a 13-year-old girl with enough self-awareness to realize her own humble estate, and to sing about it. Augustine wrote this, For those who would learn God's ways, humility is the first thing, humility is the second, humility is the third. Or as Chesterton said, Alice must grow small if she is to be Alice in Wonderland. And don't you see Mary here in in this beautiful song, which the natural temptation would be to be all like, I'm chosen, I'm the one. She does the opposite of that. She realizes her lowest state. She sings about her humility. She sings about her servanthood. She takes that low spot. Her heart is meek. Her heart is humble. Me? 
I'm just a girl from nowhere. This isn't about me. I'll be called blessed, not because me, but because of the glory of the one who comes from me. I do believe that Mary would be very much upset and dismayed to see all the people that worship her. The millions today around the world that worship Mary. Can't you just see her sort of stepping back in this room going, Ah, I'm just a little girl from Nazareth. Don't worship me. Worship him. He is my savior too. So the first half of this song, it's, it's, it's humble, it's low, it's Mary uh, sort of streaming her, her thoughts and her, her, her uh, uh, spiritual sensibilities, and they are so beautiful to see. The second half is a sharp contrast. Here now she gets a little bit preachy. She starts to talk about how God treats people that are the opposite of her, how God treats the rich, the mighty. He says, or she says, he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. Verse 33, he has sent away uh, the rich, empty. The proud, the mighty, and the rich. What do we say about them? These are all people that feel entitled. I am better than other people is the temptation in those categories. Now, is is Mary and, and the Holy Spirit, is this a diatribe against being rich or being in a place of prominence? No, it is not. But it is against the inside of the heart that thinks that I am entitled because I have these things. How can I find myself in opposition to God? Elevate in my heart my sense of me. When I view myself as being rich, when I view myself as being mighty, when I view myself as being somebody... Now the words of Peter kick in that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You might ask yourself today, well, which of those categories are you in? If you came to church today, you're probably looking for the favor of God in your life. You're seeking the blessing of God in your life. You're seeking God, period, in your life. But if my heart is haughty, And if in my heart I am worshiping me, now God is in opposition. It is the humble that God receives and saves. And Mary's song celebrates the wonder of how God works. And Mary herself is the best example of this. The little girl from nowhere who bears the Son of God. Now I want to ask this question today because I think it's the question that you come to church with. Uh, Thank you very much, Pastor Steve. Interesting song. Lyrics that I want to check out later. Thank you. But man, I need something. I need something from this. I don't just want a song read to me. I need something to live on this week. What is this text? How does this text apply? And I have one application from Mary's Magnificat, and it's this. That Mary's song is simply the gospel. It is simply the gospel. And I wonder if you can sing it. Can you sing Mary's 
Magnificat. What do I mean by this? Well, Mary's song represents, and the wonder of in the song represents every person who's ever been saved. I mean, what is the first thing that is necessary for somebody to receive the grace of God, to receive the message of Jesus, the Savior of the world? Is it not that I must need, I must realize my need for Him? I must realize that I am myself a sinner. That I am not entitled to any grace from God or mercy from God at all. That I am, as scripture says, worthless. That I am myself spiritually undone. That I am myself a sinner. That I have run along with the rest of humanity away from God. I do not stand in any way worthy of the mercy of God to me. I realize my guilt. I realize my sin. And all of these things are bringing me lower and lower, like Alice in Wonderland, smaller and smaller. And from that perspective of spiritual smallness, now I see the grace of God and Jesus coming and his cross and his resurrection and all the benefits that God extends to the sinner who trusts in Jesus. And I see these things now as wonderful and too marvelous to know. To realize spiritually that all of us live in Nazareth and all of us are Mary. We are all that unworthy person that God has come to. My friends, we can't save ourselves any more than Mary could produce a virgin conception in her own womb. Mary did not do that. And the story of salvation is not mankind doing miraculous things and going to God. It is God coming to us and doing miraculous things through people like you and me. And Mary symbolizes so, so beautifully, almost so, like just delicately, the 13-year-old woman receiving the word from the angel. May it be as so. And then still, in spite of that, not being like, look at me, look at me, look at me. I get to bear the Messiah. Taking that low estate and singing a song of wonder that God would use somebody like her. Does that resonate in your heart, friend? Like, as you see that, and as I describe this, are you like going, that's me. That's me. I would submit to you, nobody is saved without it. Nobody is saved without Mary's humility and realizing who we are in the eyes of God. Friend, if... You're going to be saved from spiritual Nazareth. You ain't going to do it. It's, it. it's not you getting out of Nazareth. It's God coming and rescuing you out of your sin and out of your guilt. And that is exactly what God has done. God's mercy came to Mary. God's mercy comes to us through Jesus. And if we can genuinely sing this song, if we can see God's grace and mercy to us, not from a position of pride, but of humility, now I become an object of God's grace and his mercy. I wonder if this resonates again with you. Is there kind of an echo in your heart? Like, yeah, that's me. And maybe you've been a Christian for a while and you say, that was me. It still is me, but now I've followed the Lord for this amount of time. Or does your pride or your wealth or your might or just coming to Christianity like, what can I get out of this because it's still about me? Keeping you from 
The beautiful expression of faith that Mary gives to us here. I remember talking to a guy one time. He held a place of prominence and he said to me, he said, I don't need God. Look who I am. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Is it not encouraging that the hero in this story, besides obviously God, is a woman who is so ordinary, so normal. She's young. She's from nowhere. She's got no money. She's got a name that's just like everybody else's name. She is just so normal and was a recipient of the amazing grace of God. Is there anybody here who can't relate to Mary? Maybe you're here today and you're like, oh, I just, I don't know that God can extend grace to me. I'm just so insignificant. I'm so, and you're not just being sort of duplicit with that. You actually believe it. Look at the story. Go back to that manger and see the ordinary, plain old normalness that God used to produce the amazing miracle of the incarnation of Jesus and through it to save all of mankind. If God noticed Mary, God notices you. If God loved Mary and used her, God can love you and use you. It's just so normal. The only way to be saved by this Messiah is to sing this kind of song. To rejoice that God has, he's not looked on my exalted state, but he's looked on my humble one. He's not looked on my rich estate, but he's looked on my hungry one. He sees that I am in need, that I am in Nazareth, that I'm Mary. We all are. From that position of humility, my friends, that Jesus would come for a sinner like me, that's magnificat. That God would extend this salvation to me by faith. I don't earn it. I don't deserve it. That is magnificat. That even my, my life and even my death, my death is not something that I, I have to do work, gain effort over that Jesus conquered death in his resurrection. That is magnificat. That God has this ongoing love and mercy meeting my needs, all of them, is magnificat. The fact that I have the Word of God in my hands, I have the Holy Spirit in my heart, I have the church of Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, is magnificat. The fact that He is in heaven right now preparing a place for me and extends to me promises that will be true forever is magnificat. All of the things that await the Christian are magnificat. All of them extending to us in our humblest state. You look at the wonder of all of that and can we not sing the mercy and the grace of God to people like you and me, people in humble situations and who hopefully have humble hearts. This is the wonder and the glory of the gospel. And that's all Mary's song is. It's just the plain old gospel. Her song, while we're not as eloquent and maybe not as theologically capable, but that song 
You know, is that really that different than amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me? I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. I mean, is that not like basically the same? That's just the same song, second verse, right? Pick any gospel song. It's the same song. And Christians have sung this song ever since Jesus came. And I just wonder if you're singing the song. Can you sing it truly from a position of humility and a position of faith and the wonder that God would save a sinner like you? When we have that faith, what can we say? But my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. May that resonate in every heart here. Let's sing it, okay? Let's sing it. And let's pray right now. If you would stand with me and join, please, in this prayer. My Heavenly Father, I thank you that we have this word before us, this example in this song, and this human example in the person of Mary. We don't worship her today, but we do admire the example that she provides for us of what it means to be humble, to be filled with wonder and worship, and to put our faith and our trust in Jesus. And I pray, God, that for every Christian here, that there would be a kind of echo, that this song would just echo the, 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 the song of our own hearts and just resonate, a kind of melody and harmony as we delight in what Mary is saying, because it's so true of ourselves. And God, I pray that if there is anybody here who this song does not resonate, there is not harmony, there is dissonance. Lord, I pray that the truth that is in this song, the gospel truth that is in this song, would be a kind of, of truth that would penetrate the mind and the heart. And that we might trust in Jesus truly as our Savior. So we pray over this series. We ask that it would each week take us back to this same kind of wonder. And we'll give you praise as you answer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.